Welcome to Capital Class. I'm Adam Geary. We founded Capital Class to share candid conversations with market-leading businesses while humanizing the journey of constructing an enterprise. In 1995, feeling a little old, I remember crowding around a neighbor's television, watching the 49ers play the Chargers. This was an event unlike any I had experienced. It was a day. It was a country gathered to watch two teams pursue a national championship. It was the Super Bowl. This event is a business unto itself, sprouting almost out of the ground, creating millions of dollars of economic impact. 25 years later, as a member of the Super Bowl Legacy Committee, I had a glimpse into the design, build, and implementation of this enterprise. In today's class, we ask the question, what does it take to host a Super Bowl? How does a city prepare for a national event during the COVID era? And what lessons can be learned from adapting under a fluid situation such as a pandemic? To answer these questions, we are joined by our guest, Claire Lessinger, Vice President of the Tampa Bay Sports Commission, and as I came to know her, Chief Operating Officer of Super Bowl 55. We pose these questions and many more in today's episode of Capital Class. We hope you enjoy. All right. Today's class, we are joined by Claire Lessinger, Vice President of Events at the Tampa Bay Sports Commission, accomplished D1 volleyball player, recognized as one of the most influential people in Tampa Bay sports by the Tampa Bay Times, and as I know her, the COO of Super Bowl 55. Claire, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. Claire, we started Capital Class to really explore the journey of building an enterprise. And when I look at our time together, you know, few people build a business, a multi-million dollar business with national recognition, a la the Super Bowl in their career. And I, you know, as a, as a member supporting the host committee and, you know, being a part of the Forever 55 Legacy Initiative I really was impressed with how that came together. And so firstly, kudos, congratulations. Also, congratulations for basically making the Tampa Bay Bucks win. <laughs> yeah, thank you. We'll take all the credit. I've never had. <laughs> but I, I think. Never. Talked it into complete existence. We appreciate the Bucks, you know, following through. <laughs> absolutely. And, and I think when I, you know, to kind of capture today's conversation, you know, to build an enterprise under regular terms is, is hard enough. To do it under a pandemic is unbelievable. And I think to host an event at the Super Bowl uh, under the terms and conditions you did is almost unfathomable. So can you take us through a little bit, like, what does it mean to host a Super Bowl? How, how does this even happen? Sure. You know, it, it, it starts with the host community. Um, and we um, are, are very experienced in hosting major events. Um, our organization, the Tampa Bay Sports Commission, that really helps, we're like the engine behind bidding on these major events. And then of course, um, we partner um, with the Bucks and TSA and, and whoever the venue partner is and whoever you know the, the sport entity um, partner is and helping win the business to host these major events. But this was our fifth time hosting a Super Bowl. Um, so, it's not about winning it, it's about winning it back. And when we win it back, we know that our community, again, has been great partners um, of the NFL time after time after time. And, and now we have the opportunity to not only get it back, but to showcase um, the, 
the growth and the development and all that's gone on in Tampa since the last time we hosted. And I think that's another thing that makes us unique. We have this ongoing growth and development in our downtown corridor. Um, you know, the, the region itself has been booming. And so every time guest fans come back to this region, they're experiencing the same greatness they did the time before, but something also very different. Um, so we have a lot of assets to sell, but then we also have our people and our people are the game changers. And, and that goes for everyone in this community, from the community leaders and the public to the private sector, the amount of support um, that just rallies around, you know, bringing these from, from our, our mayor to our governor, like Florida Sports Foundation, driving these major events to our state and to our community is a priority. Um, and then the level of support that is truly, um, you know, extended is is just just unbelievable. So I'll just I'll, I'll start in terms of like how clearly we bid on and won um, the opportunity. We actually by default won the opportunity to host this year because LA's construction wasn't tracking. But our host committee itself, and this is another thing that I think separates our our destination and our hosting efforts maybe from some of our competitors. Is, is compiled predominantly by the Tampa Bay Sports Commission staff. So the, the nonprofit organization that is helping spearhead the bidding effort in partnership, of course, with the Bucks and TSA and, and other you know, key partners is the same group. The same group that put the bid together, made all the promises, is gonna be the same group that delivers and maintains all of those relationships with the NFL from start to finish. Many other cities do build up teardown models. So once they win that bid, once they win the opportunity to host the Super Bowl, you know, their their Super Bowl host committee is a build up tear down model of all new folks. Some come in from out of market. Some probably are still within market. Um, but there's there's a bit of disconnect. There's you know, the communication and the relationship building then has to start over. The handover of the bid then has to be relearned. Um, you have to then research what you promised and and make sure you deliver. So there's so much continuity, consistency, and then the strength of the relationships that we maintain from start to finish with these these bid opportunities. So I think when we look at this Super Bowl and then you take a pandemic year, um, the way Tampa Bay hosts major events, the way that we structure our host committees um, really played in our favor. Because again, we were working with tried and true partners with the NFL, with the Bucks, with TSA, with Visit Tampa Bay, with the city, with the county, you name it, all of our same partners that are in the trenches with us on every one of these major event hosting efforts. Um, and so you've got this teamwork mentality. Um, everyone's rolling their sleeves up um, and making sure that it's it's the best ever. And I know for us, one of our priorities, we'll get into this a little later too, probably, but one of our priorities that we knew wouldn't change. There was a lot that changed <laughs> throughout <laughs> the month of planning, a lot of pausing, a lot of pivoting. I remember um, that. Uh, we yeah, might exactly. One thing we knew wouldn't change business. is the relationship with the NFL and the opportunity to strengthen that and be the best partners we could possibly be. Um, and, and we know that, that that was fulfilled and it's so rewarding to both of us. Um, I think both organizations um, in this partnership to be able to talk about the successes that, that were. Fascinating. So take me back a step here. Clearly, it's different than the Olympics model, right? The build-up, tear-down. I, I was unfamiliar. That's how Super Bowls in some cities worked. This is only, this is my first host committee, right? So I, I have not I've done it before. Um, you find out that LA can't host or won't be able to host, right? Because at that point, 
that was more of a structural issue. They weren't, they weren't to be built. Right. What's, what's that situation like? I mean, is it a, is it a call? Hey, we need to put a Super Bowl 55 somewhere in the United States and, and this major cities just put their names in the hat. So, so I'll be candid. I wasn't at the table for all of these decisions that were made, but, but I know enough to be able to share a little bit about the process. So Tampa Bay was a finalist in that bid cycle process that at when LA was awarded. Um, so we had already gone through and were, um, you know, had a delegation that pitched to the owners um, and were a finalist. So the owners and all of them, all of the group that voted for where those Super Bowls went the next three to four years had seen what Tampa Bay's bid pitch was all about, what we were capable of doing. Um, we had an incredible presentation um, and we just fell short in that in that bid process. So I think when L.A. wasn't tracking, I think it was a no brainer. Um, and quite honestly, the owners voted unanimously to award Tampa without going back through a bid process. So I think that speaks volumes. Um, and not to mention our window was was way shorter. You know, you, you usually have X amount of years once you're awarded to start prepping, planning, fundraising, start, you know, putting your host committee and your um, subcommittees together. Our, our window was shrunk quite a bit um, because we, we were handed off the opportunity to host midway through a hosting effort. Um, and, but I think that speaks volumes, again, to the relationship with the NFL, the trust that the owners had in our community. Um, and so that's, that's how Tampa, how it landed in Tampa's lap. And, and we're forever grateful. That's incredible. When we were having our meetings and the, the host committee was you know, gathering in July and August, there was a question then of like, would there even be fans, right? What would a fan experience be? When will they, when will we be rolled out as, you know, the, the committee itself, you know, obviously we know the end of the story, right? You hosted a successful non-super spreader event uh, right. in, in the city with a lot of success in the community engagement, right? The community felt extremely alive and I can testify to that. What are some of the things we just didn't know about, right? I mean, I, I saw, I'll even take a real, you know, clear question here. The halftime performance, I've been to that stadium. How do they build that? Like what, I mean, just incredible change to the stadium to make a halftime show. Like, give us some, some kind of behind the scenes here. Like what, what were some curveballs that you absolutely just hit out of the park? Sure. Um, I think, you know, to, to answer that really broadly, um, I, I don't think anyone truly understands all that goes into every decision that's being made. Right. Um, the, the, you know, to, to let people behind the green curtain in terms of the amount of time, effort, energy, as well as resources um, that were used to make every decision during this pandemic year. And of course, there was there was a lot of pause and a lot of pause because that time, effort and energy was so important to make sure we got it right. Um, and so that was fascinating, fascinating for me to be a part of. And when I speak of this, of course, health and safety protocol being the absolute priority, the driver behind every decision that was being made. So you mentioned, you know, we didn't know if we were going to have fans, but we had to wait to see if the season kicked off, when the season kicked off, you know, what what markets were going to go with fans. Um, the Bucks didn't start with fans, then they went to fans. So now we're being able to litmus test in our own community and, of course, the Super Bowl hosting venue with fans. So all of it was it was progressive because, you know, we had hoped that with each step towards 
a positive direction that it would maintain that path, but we didn't know, right? Course could change. That's what the past 15 months have taught all of us. So it was about commitment and patience. If I had to come up with two words, the the amount of folks that were committed um, to to one making this the safest, most inspiring Super Bowl, but also you know in the records books as a success um, was was unbelievable. But the amount of patience that it took, and I think that's probably what tried all of us the most, especially for me who who I'm wired, you know, I'm an event planner. We want the details to be done well in advance, <laughs> and so everything being last minute and and truly just having to trust um, the process and that like. The longer we wait, the better we'll be. But the time in which we're waiting, we need to be spending on making sure every detail is buttoned up from a health and safety protocol. So I'll just give you a little example. Um, and, and the NFL, this is, again, like being partners, partnering with them during this time on this event um, was, was such a privilege. The, the amount of additional work streams that they created internally was mind-blowing. Um, the event preparedness guidelines and the stadium preparedness guidelines they created and presented, of course, um, with sign off from CDC and all of their health um, professionals and officials and doctors. Um, and then, you know, that would trickle down to our local state government officials um, and health officials. So these layers and layers of nothing getting approved until we had IDER plans in place, which were infectious disease emergency response plans that then, of course, had to have infectious disease response officers um, that that helped, you know, track the success of these the implementation of these plans. So there was no event. There was no ancillary event, Super Bowl experience. Now, there are a lot of ancillary events, of course, were postponed or moved to virtual platforms. But the ones that did take place the layers and layers and layers um, of meetings and approvals that took place for us to say, we feel confident that we can push play on this and it will be safe and it will be successful um, was was really, I mean, I don't think anyone, and I was in the trenches every step of the way. It was a mind blowing experience. It was so rewarding. Anyone will really understand what went into that. 72 hours out. Tell me about a situation that just popped up and you guys absolutely resolved it. Oh my goodness. That's so hard. I feel like that becomes kind of our full-time job during event week. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I think it's, it, and again, with event week is very much, very much a blur. It goes so fast, sadly. Um, I am always holding on to every moment because uh, that's, that's what's so exciting to see it come to life. Um, but, you know, I think if anything, one, one, here's a great example. So, and, and this is kudos again to, to our leadership and our mayor, um, we're on daily calls, daily calls every morning with the NFL. And we're talking through every work stream, every department, they're providing updates. And of course, a lot of weigh in from public safety and health and safety um, protocol officials. Um, but, but our mayor implementing a mask mandate um, event week was huge. So what we were able to do and what Super Bowl Experience's 10-day run gave us, it opened, and this is this is non-traditional, it opened the weekend before Super Bowl week. So we had a Friday, Saturday, Sunday to really start to gauge how our community was going to come out in support of this event. We, we weren't surprised by the results. Um, of course, the weather was amazing. Um, and this was the first, you know, public gathering live event that had taken place um, in months. So when we started to gauge what the capacity was looking like at Julian B. Lane and the capacity was looking like at Curtis Hickson Park, 
Um, there were ongoing, nonstop, you know, pivots and changes being made to the plan that we had launched initially. And so one of the things that we noticed is at Super Bowl Experience, which was way more experiential, there was a lot of things to do there. Um, the mask mandate was very easy to enforce. Um, and they, they, had, um, they had staff that was actually hired to do that. And some of the other parks, because they were more food and beverage heavy, it was much tougher to enforce the mask mandate. So we were making shifts to the amount of staff that were being you know, hired and in place at each one of these parks. And then what the mayor's order did is it allowed that mandate to extend to the river walk where we were seeing a lot of enforcement fall off. People would come in the parks, but then they'd hit the river walk and then the mask would come off. So <clears throat> again, health safety protocol, being the priority, the decision maker driver at every turn, we were still making those decisions event week to ensure that this was not a super spreader event. So again, hats off to, to the team and, and, and our mayor and the leadership um, that was just always so supportive um, every step of the way and doing what was right. Mission accomplished <laughs> without question. You know, we talk often about the pandemic in a negative light, right? For the obvious. You know, right. substantial change um, to the world that we live in. You know, incredible loss of life. But there are there are opportunities in those moments. But when you think about Super Bowls, you've done now a couple, um, and we've hosted. What's a what's a positive impact that you think COVID will have on the Super Bowl experience? And this is a really easy question. Quite honestly, um, it's COVID. In, in the way that it challenged the way this event normally takes place, um, repositioned, it was always there, but it repositioned um, a lot of emphasis and highlight on social initiatives and social impact. And so <clears throat> talked about the relationship with the NFL. We knew that wouldn't change. That was an opportunity for us, again, to build such a trusted partnership with them from start to finish. What we also knew wouldn't change would be the $2 million investment back into our community as part of our legacy program, which was Forever 55. A million dollars raised by the host committee, a million dollars matched by the NFL Foundation. Um, and so how those dollars were spent, the pillars and the way that they were um, <clears throat> identify, identified and then executed was, was so thoughtful and strategic, but also relevant. It was about what the needs are in our community at this time. And although the pillars were created prior to the pandemic, we also shifted focus and added a pillar based off the pandemic. So systemic justice was an added pillar to our legacy program based off all of the, the challenges and the issues that, that became prevalent have always been there again, um, but at the forefront of what was a real issue um, in our in our world, in our um, you know in our country, and of course in our community. So again, shifting our emphasis, shifting our dollars, making sure the impact was was um, was unbelievable. Quite honestly, and and these dollars went into programs. They weren't into bricks and mortar. They weren't into staffing. They were into programs um, so that they can sustain themselves over time. The impact of Forever 55 will truly be felt forever in our community because of the way we invested those dollars. Now, that's one huge example of, of how I think, you know, COVID had, had a positive impact on um, this Super Bowl. But I will also say, and again, just incredible hats off and kudos to the NFL in terms of how they repositioned so many things 
throughout their planning journey. And I, I said at the top of this, you know, it was one of the most inspiring Super Bowls because of that. Um, the, the opportunity to bring healthcare workers into the stadium um, was, was unbelievable. Um, you know, double vaccinated, that process, like that's a whole nother podcast to talk through how that was implemented and the process in which um, <clears throat> we were able to pull that off. But through, you know, that increased capacity, but it also allowed these frontline workers that truly needed to be celebrated um, and be given this incredible opportunity uh, to attend a once in a lifetime event, be honored and recognized on that stage um, and in our community was, was fabulous. And I could go on and on and on about how inspiring the Super Bowl was and how much emphasis um, was was put on ensuring that it was. I was on, I'll wrap this real quick in that, I was on a post-event call with NFL Green. So NFL Green is the, the Super Bowl's uh, sustainability partner. Um, and this year, they had the most partners engaged, the most partners invested. And I was on a call with one of their corporate partners that said, due to the pandemic, you know, normally their dollars would go into ancillary events, into the glitz, the glamour and the celeb of, of the Super Bowl. But they invested predominantly a lot of their dollars into the social impact and to NFL Green. And it was so rewarding and they think it will change their model moving forward in terms of how those dollars get invested so that's a perfect example of you know everyone everyone was pivoting everyone was trying to figure out you know this isn't the norm what do we do here um where do we invest where do we put our brand where do we put our dollars um and and it was really powerful one of the key pieces of leadership and what i've heard throughout most of this interview today is you have to have a year, maybe a process for making big decisions, right? And it's obvious, especially in the event planning world, for those of us who've done it, um, much of that made with very limited information. And so can you talk us a little bit, how, how do you make big decisions? How, how do you process those types of scenarios? I mean, that's a great question. I think, you know, we, I, I personally, I'll say me personally, and then we, as I represent our organization, um, am surrounded by great leaders. And so we, we have an incredible culture. The Sports Commission is, is a team of, of eight full-time employees. We, our host committee became then a team of 12, which is still tiny in the grand scheme of things, um, and, and small but mighty. We wear a ton of different hats, and the level of communication that we rely on and support of one another is, is truly what develops um, a culture um, and so I would say there's there's no decision, you know, big decision that I'm making by myself. Um, and I think that's important. I think, you know, it, it needs to when, when you've got big decisions in, in terms of what we're doing um, and, and bringing these major events to the community and how it's impacting our community, um, there, there needs to be a team behind those decisions and making sure that they're being vetted and looked at it at, at, at every different you know, angle. And so our team relies on each other heavily. Um, and we also rely heavily on whether it's our host committee boards or other community leaders that are experts in whatever space and decision we're making. So it, it, it took a village. Um, I mean, clearly we have to make some big decisions on the fly and they may fall right into our lane of area of expertise and we're just comfortable and confident in doing that. Um, <clears throat> but I tend 
you know, I think clearly leading with your head is important. You need to, you need, you need to be, you need to make intellectual decisions um, and not reactionary decisions. Um, but I also lead a lot with my heart. And, you know, when decisions feel right, you know, they're right, they're right for the community. Um, and you're, you're, you're thinking of others first, they, they truly be, they tend to be the right decision. And our organization thinks that way too. Um, it's, it's always about the partner. It's always about the community. And, and that's what drives our decision-making. Incredible. So, you know, I think it's important for listeners to understand that, that there is a, what I've heard from you today is a very qualitative approach, right? That there's got to, it's got to feel right. And I, I was struck by your emphasis on women leadership, right? The kind of advancement of female leadership in the sports arena, advancement of uh, women in leadership for your, I wouldn't say alma mater, but USF, kind of your local partnership institution. I mean, you obviously have a lot of demands on your time, right? How do you make that decision to invest in that, in those organizations and, and why? Um, it's, so it's really about passion for me. Um, I think we all, you know, we all get asked um, to support and participate in many things. And, and right. I tend um, to not say no well. And, and one, because, um, I, I love giving back. I, I think that's really important. Um, and I, I just recently heard a panel about when, when you're given the opportunity to be elevated, whether it's in, you know, in, in your organization or some other way, or given more opportunity, what that's truly giving you is, is more opportunity to invest in others. The further, the further you go up any ladder means you need to be investing more in others. And so I'm so grateful. My journey, you know, started in, in coaching, um, but I've had so many men and women that have impacted and influenced one, whether it was my decision making um, or just me personally and professionally. And I'm committed to, to doing the same. And for me, my passion is, is, is about influencing that next generation of women. I think it's really, really important. Um, and so my two sororities here locally are Wise Tampa Bay and Women um, WLP at USF, Women Leadership and Philanthropy. And, and one, why I love those organizations, but, but two, why I think they're so important is that, yes, there is a group of like-minded individuals, um, right? Of course, women's sports and events is, is right in my wheelhouse. Um, but it's community leaders all the way down to students. It's C-suite down to, you know, entry level, um, um, you know, just entering the, the, the market. Um, and I learn from all of them. Um, the future generation of leaders, I, I may even learn more from these days. So it gives me the opportunity to give back and help share um, and hopefully be a resource to many. Um, but it's also helping me grow as an individual and as a professional. And I just love being surrounded um, by people that are so driven and still invested in, in educating themselves and giving back to the community. It's, it's such a positively contagious environment. Um, and I just, I just, my goal is to, to play a part in that. There's definitely something to be said about having a community of your own, right? Your own group of peers and also folks that will stretch you. And, and I can certainly attest to that with, with my own experience, but I think we're in a time here, Claire, where you know, women leadership is, it's no longer a, we'll get around to it thing. Right. right? Over time, it'll happen. Right. There's no more conversations about 
or there's fewer conversations about like one day the glass ceiling will change, right? These, these are things that are happening, right? We're watching it. Is that, how does that make you feel? I mean, I have a lot of pride for that. And, and that like, again, I, I hope I can play a small role um, in helping elevate women, not just within our own organization, not just within our own community, um, you know, but, but across the globe and, and whatever I can do to assist in that is, is, is a priority and is important to me. But, but to your point, we've come a long way. We hear this all the time. We have a long way to go. And so it's about maintaining invested in that journey. Um, and I think what's encouraging is you are seeing a lot of positive shift and change um, in this. And, and I think it's because the conversation is, and, and unfortunately, Sometimes it takes negative things happening that go viral that, again, recreate the conversation and bring it up to the forefront and make it a priority. But every time that happens, I feel like we make big strides. Um, and so it's it's a, it's like anything else. There's a lot of fights out there. But as, as long as we continue to fight the good fight, um, progress and change will continue to happen. Love it. Claire, let me get you out of here on this. Big predictions. Right, We end every show this way. All right. Will the Bucks repeat? Yes. All right. Will Tampa host another Super Bowl and when? Yes, and I don't know. Oh, come on. Make a call, Claire. <laughs> I know. I really don't know. <laughs> Hopefully sooner than later. That was our whole goal. Um, and, and again, strengthening that partnership with the NFL. Um, our, our, we hope that we get it back sooner than later, but I have nothing to do with those decisions. <laughs> <laughs> And our last, if you had to give the Claire Roach, which is an award named after yourself, the, if you had to give the Claire Roach defensive award to any member of your team, who would it be? And you got to pick someone. Give a shout out. Oh, my gosh. Defensive? Who played a big role here? Maybe an unsung hero. I mean, I met many of them. It, honestly, as a member of the, the committee, it was quite easy, right? Your staff was everywhere. We were, man, that is hard. Oh my gosh. Um, you can give two, give two shout outs. Okay. And, and, and this isn't because I'm kissing up, but I am going to give Rob Higgins an award. It, Fair. Unbelievable. I mean, again, if, if anyone was left behind the green curtain to see how that guy worked and managed um, every step of the way, he, he is a sleeve roller upper. Um, he is not managing from 30,000 feet. And so I, I just, one, admire and respect um, everything about him, but it was incredible to watch him work during the Super Bowl. Um, <clears throat> and then I think my other one is going to go to our creative specialist. So um, Cody Liner, um, again, a guy behind the scenes that was charged with, if you saw the amount of digital um, and social creative that was asked for him to turn around in milliseconds as it got down to the wire and maintaining and keeping our story, whether it was social, again, digital, um, web, um, relevant, uh, was was mind blowing. You go back and you follow our Tampa Bay LV accounts um, building up to Super Bowl week and the amount of content um, that was out there. Um, and again, a lot of that creative he was creating in house as well. Um, just just an incredible, incredible teammate again that 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 probably would go unrecognized otherwise. Um, but but a huge piece to Tampa Bay storytelling. Well, Claire. 
I want to personally say thank you for having me as a member of, of the legacy committee and supporting the host committee. And it was an incredible honor and you earned my award, Claire, because it was an absolutely incredible experience to watch you under center, if you will, you know, calling the plays and, and throwing the ball and making, making it happen. So Claire, thank you so much for joining capital class. It's been a wonderful, wonderful time together. And Adam, thank you. And thanks for, for your servant leadership. Quite honestly, that subcommittee in early learning um, has, has, I told Diane this the other day, Diane Jacob, like I am so in awe at what that committee has created and launching and piloting um, a first thousand day initiative in our community. And you had so much to do with that. Um, and again, that's what separates our community from others is community leaders like yourself that come in, roll their sleeves up and want to be part of this and want to help us um, impact um, our community and on the grandest of stages. So thank you. Kudos to you. Kudos to everyone. Again, takes a village. Thanks again, Claire. And thank you for joining Capital Class. Again, Claire Lessinger, Vice President of the Tampa Bay Sports Commission and Chief Operating Officer of Super Bowl 55. Thank you for listening in on our third class with Claire Lessinger. As a member of the Super Bowl 55 Legacy Committee, I witnessed the power of Claire's servant leadership and flexibility. Today's lessons highlight the power of embracing the likely unknowns to create control from chaos. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an idea for our next class, please email me directly at adam.g-i-e-r-y at gmail.com. You've been listening to Capital Class, a venture with the Strategus Podcast Network. Learn more at www.strategusgroup.com. I'm Adam Geary. Class is closed.